so after service, we will be having a barbecue. How many of you are already hungry? Again? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so we have, we're going to have hamburgers, hot dogs, and turkey hot dogs as well, and turkey burgers if anybody likes those, because we're getting weird. Um, so anyways, out the doors and hook a left, and we're just going to be in that area over there where there's shade and trees and all that stuff and just have fellowship. And really, it's, it's twofold, celebrating because we're going to finish the book of Luke today. We've been in the book of Luke for a year and a half. And I know people are like, what, is that possible? <laughs> yes, is, I mean, uh, Marcus and I were talking about it because he's been teaching through the book of Luke at, at Christian Aid Center, and we, we're, we're finishing it. We're like, we missed so much. And I know you guys are like, hurry up. And so there's, who knows what's going on, but um, how do you finish it? Who knows? Lord God, we want to come before you, and, and we want to thank you first of all, for the ultimate memorial, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, who gave up his life that we might live. Not only just live here presently, Father, but uh, really for all eternity in your kingdom and your home. And so we thank you for that. And Lord, we also do want to honor those men and women who have given their lives for our country. We thank you for them, Father, that we could enjoy freedom here, Lord, and peace. And we ask for your blessing upon their families today and upon um, our, our nation. God, grant us repentance. Grant us, grant us a heart after you, Lord, that we would not take these freedoms in vain, but use them for your kingdom and your glory. So, Lord, as we open your word, open our hearts. We're, uh, we're in desperate need of, of you to feed us this morning. And, uh, Lord, we pray that we be fed in every way this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Luke chapter 24, I'm going to start in verse 33, do a little recap, and we'll work up to where we are in 36, okay? Uh, if you don't have a, a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you around there. Just bug someone, and they can hand it to you. Verse 33 begins, it says, They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, <clears throat> and there they found the eleven and those uh, with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon, and then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke bed. Many of you were not here last week. I wasn't even here, even though I was here. And uh, as we entered into the last section, as we entered the last section of Luke, Luke has been recalling for us how Jesus' death and resurrection took place all according to the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, if you open your Bibles and you look, kind of look at them, um, you kind of realize that there's like this much New Testament, and then there's like this much Old Testament. Anybody ever notice that? How many of you kind of stick to this part? <laughs> the thin part and the thick part, you're like, ah. Well, yeah, I know, me too sometimes. I have been teaching through the New Testament. However, Jesus was saying that this part is all about Him. It talks all about Him. It's kind of more hidden. And it's progressively revealed as you go along, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a revelation of Jesus Christ when you hit the New Testament. And that's kind of what, what he's talking about here, is that the Old Testament scriptures, Luke has been pointing the picture, they all spoke of, they prophesied sometimes 1,000, 1,500 years before in great detail that Jesus would die in a specific way, in a specific, specific place by specific people, and he would raised from the grave, and then his message would go forward and bring freedom to everybody uh, who would call upon his name. And that freedom is spiritual freedom. 
the, from the bondage of sin and the penalty, which is death and eternal separation from God in hell. Let me tell you, in your life, that is the only thing that matters. Have you been saved from your sin before a holy God? And there's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven and gave himself on your behalf, and by the way, on my behalf, a horrible, wretched sinner before a holy God. And he comes and he makes us new. And not only does he save us, he makes us sons and daughters. He adopts us into his family. Clothes us with his righteousness. Gives us his gifts, his eternal lives. And forever and ever and ever we will be with him. Oh, what grace there is in Christ Jesus. All spoken, from the, all planned before the foundations of the earth. Revealed by the Old Testament prophets and manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. And here we have the testimony of people who were eyewitnesses to these events. The world changed when Jesus came on the scene. And now here we are 2,000 years later receiving the message, the same message through the scriptures. And so Luke has been uh, recalling the story about how the Old Testament has speaks to these things. And three days earlier from when these, guys, these two guys bust in this room, um, Jesus was crucified and he was buried. And on that Sunday morning, which was three days later, on that day they walked into that room, he rose from the grave and it began to, he began, Jesus began to appear to his disciples, proving that he was alive. First, he appeared to the women. We know that. And Mary Magdalene was there in the beginning. And then, then to Peter. And then to these two men on the road to Emmaus, all on that resurrection Sunday. And if you remember last week, these two men, they were leaving Jerusalem. They were totally, uh, they were totally depressed because all their hopes, all their dreams were in this guy named Jesus. They had given up everything. They had started to follow him, and he was stone-cold killed, nailed to a cross. And they're just like, what in the world? They thought that Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem, set up his kingdom, and kick out the Romans, and they would rule with him, and they were just totally depressed. Their world was shattered, and they were just going home seven miles away. And Jesus appears to them on the road. They didn't recognize him. Something about the appearance of the Lord is that they did not recognize him. You know, God is walking along some of you right now, and you do not recognize it. You do not know it. Right now, the very fact that you are in this room is a testimony that God has drawn you here this morning, that he wants to speak to your heart. He wants to do something in your life. You've run in, you've bumped into someone who goes to church, who loves Jesus, and you're like, meh. You know? God is, is, is infiltrating your life. He's walking alongside of you right now because he wants to wake you up. He wants to pull you out of the depression and bring you into the good life, which is found in him. Not saying that when you come to Christ, everything's roses. Let me tell you, it gets harder. So don't believe that. It's actually much more intense, much more suffering in many ways because you deny yourself like he did. Anyways, they were walking along and they didn't recognize Jesus. And Jesus begins to speak to them as they're depressed. And they said, haven't you known what's gone on around here? Are you missing out? Because Jesus pretended like he didn't know what happened. Well, what happened? Tell me. And they're depressed. They stopped in their tracks. They were just overwhelmed in their hearts. And then Jesus responds in his counseling-like fashion. He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter 
into his glory? Didn't you read your Old Testament all the way? And then the disciples, they, 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 they kind of just went along as Jesus started talking to them. But that was true of all the disciples. They had selective belief. Anybody else has selective belief? You like to believe what you want to believe? Like how many of you like read the verses about being healed like me? And you go like, oh yeah, Jesus, I claim those verses. Heal me now. Financial blessing? Oh yeah, we got to want that one. Suffering? No, not so much. Let's not, those are not highlighted in your, how many of you, how many weirdos just have just the suffering verses highlighted? Anyone? No? <laughs> yeah, that's later. <laughs> After the other ones, you realize that God wants to do something else. But they focused on the prophecies about the Messiah, about who, the one that would come and deliver them physically. Now, no doubt God can and does deliver us physically, amen, at His will. He is good. We don't ever want to limit God. And God will often do something miraculous in our lives to, to show Himself strong on our behalf. He'll just do something. He can do whatever He wants, and we invite Him to, amen? I, I, I ask, you know, if you need prayer for healing, the Bible says to pray for you. I'm going to pray. It says gather the elders together and pray for you. How many of you have been struggling with sickness or whatever it is for a prolonged time or whatever it might be? The Bible says get the elders around you, let them lay hands on you, let them pray for you, confess any sin, and that the Lord might heal you. Amen? So, yeah, we want to have those things, but quite often God works through something, a little thing called suffering to build character. How many of you kids fed your, how many of you adults fed your kids candy all growing up? How many of you have actually introduced suffering into their life and you made them eat things they didn't want to eat because it was good for them? Anyone else? Why would you do that, you horrible parent? Because you want to develop something in them. You want them to last. Amen? You want them to endure, to be able to live. And so this is what Christ desires for us. He says, how foolish you were, how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And then he goes, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Old Testament Bible study time, he explained to them what was said about, uh, said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he gave them the scriptures that he didn't, they didn't want to hear as well, explaining his suffering. And when they reached Emmaus, they, began, they begged Jesus to stay with them. And it wasn't until he broke the bread as they were hanging out that, that they recognized him. It wasn't until they broke the bread. Perhaps they saw this, the, the hands in his feet and the nail, uh, sorry, the nails in his hands and his feet. Amen? And Jesus revealed who he was to them. And then all of a sudden, he disappears out of the room. What in the world? And verse 32 says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And this is one of the ways we know that we're his. When His Word is taught, it connects with our hearts. It feeds our souls. We long for it. And I'm not just talking about an emotional thing, but it feeds us spiritually. And we, we go, wow, that was different. God, you spoke to me in an area of my life. There's something that you said, and it's just, it's like the difference between candy and steak or whatever it is, you know, your tofu bar, whatever it is you eat, <laughs> Right? The thing we don't want to have or the things we do like, like to, that, really, that we really enjoy. You know what I'm saying, right? The things that don't, and it's, it feeds your soul. And they asked each other, we're not our hearts burning while he talked to us. He opened the scriptures to us. And they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. It's late at night. They're going to Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem, seven miles. And there they found the eleven 
and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. They walk in the door, and these guys are saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. And if you remember earlier in chapter 24, when the women had seen the angel and they told the disciples, the disciples did not believe. Remember, the women the first, were the first to see the empty tomb, and an angel appeared to them and explained everything that was going on. The disciples didn't believe when they came back. They're like, hmm, no. But Peter and John, they ran. They bolted to the tomb because they were thinking, maybe. And they saw that empty tomb, and they started asking some questions. So there's some investigation on the part, but basically they were doubting. And it was shortly thereafter that Jesus, we learned from the other Gospels, appeared to Peter and talked to him. And all we have is recorded here in Luke, and also Paul mentions it in passing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5. Peter appeared, uh, Lord appeared to Peter, and probably the reason why it's not in there, some say, is because the Lord had some things to say to Peter, and he was gracious that we didn't hear them. But some, some think that might be it, but that's all conjecture. And so as the actual 10 apostles, it says 11, but that's just the term they use, because they it used to be the 12, then it became, you know, the 11, because Judas died. There was actually 10 in the room. Thomas is missing. We learned that in John's Gospel. And so as the 10 apostles are gathered along with the women, and these two disciples bust in the room who saw Jesus on the road to Emmaus, before they can get their words out in their story, um, they, the others start saying, hey, it's true, Jesus is risen. They, they connected, Peter saw Jesus, so it's good if Peter saw Jesus. And yay, they're excited. And then it says in verse 35, then the two told them what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And so they're all in this room. They're all convinced that Jesus is risen. And what's the name, next thing that happens? Verse 36, and here we are today. While they were still speaking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Could you imagine if Jesus Christ just appeared here? And he just said, I mean, we would just freak out if he materialized right here. We would just all... And the first words out of his mouth, the Lord Jesus to his disciples is what? Peace to be with you. I come in peace, you know? <laughs> I, I think that is amazing. They were so stunned, so taken by Jesus materializing in front of them. They were, while they were still talking, that Jesus has to say, peace with you. Verse 37, and they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Jesus always asks interesting questions. Because you materialized in front of us, you know, would be my answer, and I, I'm freaking out right now. Anybody else? Jesus knows these things. He already knows the answer to questions he asks, right? So when Jesus asks questions, he's not looking for information. Amen? When God asks questions, He's not looking for information. Where are you? Like your parents, where have you been? Usually they know where they've been. they got their spies out there, right? They're tracking you on your phones, whatever it might be now. There was a little birdie when I was younger, whoever that was. There was a little birdie told me, like, I'm going to get that bird. But anyways, it says, why are you troubled and why do your doubts rise in your minds? They're troubled and they're doubting. And then he says, verse 33, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you 
uh, see I have. They were so shaken by that sudden appearance of Jesus in the room that they thought they were seeing a ghost. The word, how many of your Bibles have the word translated spirit instead? Anybody else? Yeah, it's, it's pneumas in the Greek, which is pneuma, where we get the word pneumatic. It's spirit. It's air. It's breath. So that's the word translated spirit most of the time. For some reason, the NIV people like to use the word ghost because I think it translates in our mind the fear. Does that make sense? But the word is spirit, and that's, that's the word. Jesus gently rebukes them. Why are you troubled, and why are you doubting? And then he helps his disciples ease those doubts and concerns that he is not a spirit. Jesus then, he begins to help them in doing this, and as he begins to help them to get their fears relieved, we get an insight into his glorified body, okay? And this is important. We get to understand what his glorified body is like. And so Jesus, Jesus begins to help him. The first thing he does is he shows them his hands and his feet. He says, it's me. That would be the one identifying marker that you would know that it's Jesus. He's got holes through his hands and through his feet. It's me. They would know that. I believe that's when he broke the bread. That picture of suffering, I think they saw the nails in his hands and his feet. I mean, it's, it's his hands as he broke the bread, as he gave it to them. Jesus was unrecognizable to Mary Magdalene, who was the gardener, who, who, th- who she thought he was a gardener in John 20, 15. He was also to those two disciples in Emmaus at first, and now to the disciples and the women. And so he shows them his nail-pierced hands and feet, that identifying marker of, of the risen Lord. And as Jesus is convincing them that he is not a ghost or a spirit, he says that spirits do not have flesh and bones as you see, I have. And Jesus is not only describing his glorified body here, he is describing ours, what we will have, minus the nails and the hands and the feet. If you ever wondered what our resurrected bodies will be like, this is uh, beginning a description of what they will be like. They will be like his there will be spiritual bodies fit for heaven. Jesus' resurrected body is a spiritual body, yet with flesh and bones. It isn't limited like our present body. Notice his attributes. He appears and disappears in rooms. How many of you like that gift? Boom! Meeting, gone. But he moved great distances instantly. We find him at the Sea of Galilee. We find him other places. He moves great distances instantly. He could hear conversations, though he wasn't there. We find that because Thomas, after this, what happens is the group goes and tells Thomas who's missing, and Thomas says, what? Unless I see his hands and his feet, and I put my hand in his side, I am not believing. And then that next Sunday, when they're all gathered together, what happens? He appears. He says, hey, Thomas, here you go. That, that little birdie, right? Yeah. No, he was there, and he appeared. Paul in 1 Corinthians, he really describes, in 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 44, describes the difference between our current body and our resurrected body. Let me read it for you. How many of you, your bodies are wearing out? <laughs> okay, this is for you. 
It's going to be a little discouraging, but it'll also be encouraging, okay? Just bear with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 44. He says, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? He says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And so he's going to begin to, how many of you have gardens outside? How many of you are tempting to have gardens? <laughs> yes, I am the, I'm the garden reaper. Um, when you, and he says there, he says, uh, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body that He has determined, and each kind of seed He gives its own body. In other words, when you put a kernel of corn in the ground, a big kernel of corn doesn't come out, does it? No, corn comes out with kernels on it. It's different in nature, but it came from that. He's saying that what we have now is like that thing that you put in the ground. But what comes afterward is going to be similar but different, spiritual. And that's what he's getting at. He says, but God gives it a body. He has determined each kind of seed. He gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh and animals have another. We're different, are we not? Birds, another, and fish, another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. So he's using these analogies of things that we can understand on earth. You are not a bird. Amen? You're not a fish. You're a person. You're not an animal. You're a person. You're different. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. And then he starts talking about the sun, the moon, the stars. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon has another. The stars have another. And a star differs from a star uh, in splendor. Each one is different. That's why we enjoy it. Paul's using these things. He's getting our minds to open up about what the difference is between now and then. And then he says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This body is going into the ground. Matt 1.0 is going down. How many of you are feeling that entropy start to catch up? I did my math wrong when I was younger. I always do my math, I, even when I'm older. But I'm just saying, you know, you think, okay, well, here's your life in 50% increments. No, it's like this, and then it kind of just, it drops off. It's not like you got the same amount of time at the beginning and the end. I'm realizing that the curve is more like a cliff. Anybody else? Says, but our new bodies will be raised imperishable. So, real quickly, the, the, the body that's going into the ground, he's, I'll just sum it up. He says it's perishable, it's in dishonor, and it's in weakness. How many of you are feeling like you're perishing and your body is dishonorable? It's unfitting for who you, what you desire to be, and it's in weakness. Is that you right now? How many of you seasoned saints are out there? How many of you played hard when you were younger? But our new bodies are going to be raised in, imperishable, in glory and in power. What's coming up is not what went down in Christ Jesus. 
Paul in Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. We're going to be like Him. We're not going to be gods. That is not what it's saying. But we will be like Him, of the same kind. Jesus will transform us to be like Him. And what we are seeing a glimpse of here in Luke as we look at Jesus is Jesus is imperishable, His body is raised, and it is in power and glory. And that is our hope in Christ Jesus as you wear out. Back, at, back to Luke, verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe, it was because of joy and amazement. And he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So you don't have to worry. You can eat with your new body. How many of you are like, oh, man, am I going to be able to eat? Yes, you're going to be able to eat. That's important to many of us. You're not going to have to eat to survive, though, which is a good thing. Well, I don't want to say that there's, there's some fruit issues in Revelation, so we'll just put a little maybe uh, tree of life thing. Uh, but they were just dumbfounded in disbelief because of joy and amazement. Jesus conquered death. He's in the room, and it was just too good to be true for them. How many of you facing difficulties in your lives right now, facing overwhelming odds, your bodies are going down, whatever it might be, emotion, depression, and stuff, and Jesus just appeared and said, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I've got you. When you fall apart, when you go down, when it's done, I've got you. You see how I am? I'm going to raise you. You see the weakness in the dishonor and all the things you're going through right now? You will be raised in power. You'll be raised in glory, in splendor. There's hope. Amen. There's going to be a day, brothers and sisters, when you will see him face to face. He will appear before you suddenly. You will appear before him suddenly. And I pray that that will be a day of joy and amazement for you as you are just blown away by His love and His glory and His grace. That day that your faith will become sight. For those of you who have not received Christ as your Savior, you do not have that hope this morning, but He offers it to you freely. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever, are you a whoever in here? Whoever believes upon him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That perishes going into the ground, standing before God in judgment without the saving blood of Jesus Christ covering your sins, and you going off in judgment into eternity. God is holy and he's just. And he's also God of love. He made a way for, of escape. It is through Jesus, whose name means God saves. So, he said to them, verse 44, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. 
And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. And you see how he's doing this? He just keeps opening the Scriptures to them. What's the key to you growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ? God opening the Scriptures to you. That is your spiritual food church. What is the one thing you think the enemy does not want you to be in or around? The Scriptures. How many of you like get dust on your Bibles or like your app is corrupt or whatever it is? You know, I mean, you're like, hmm. You know what I'm saying? Me too. I go through those seasons. You're like, well, you're a pastor. Yeah, I can also just, you know, study to teach. You know, but am I connected to the vine? But really, the Lord will open the scriptures to him. You, you ask him, Lord, I don't understand this. Will you teach me? Will you show me? And he will begin to unlock it for you. And by the way, he's put people in the body of Christ who are gifted in teaching not just me, out there, you, who can help explain these things to one another so that you might be built up and edified, amen? And those teachers are going to need you to help show them mercy <laughs> or whatever else gift you have, you know, when they talk too much, whatever it is. But he said to them, this is what I told you, and then he opened their minds, and he told them, verse 46, this is what is written. And that would be in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, basically the whole Old Testament, the, the three sections of the Old Testament. The Messiah will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day. And again, the Old Testament points to the suffering of the Messiah on behalf of sinners and the resurrection of the Messiah on the third day to show that he had conquered death and he was approved by God and the power he had the power to forgive sin and to raise us from the dead and to give us his eternal life. In other words, I'm not going to believe a dead guy who didn't, like, I've got power over sin. Well, sin kills us all. That's why we die, by the way, because we've sinned. And so I want to believe someone who has overcome that, who's like, nah, I'm back. Not the guy who said, oh, yeah, I've got all the answers and is in the ground. You see, Jesus rose and he says, I've got power over all that. I'm approved by God, and I can give you what I have through faith. And he told them this about the Old Testament. These are the things that were pointed. And then he says there in 47, he says not only that in 46, he says that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, verse 47, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at where? Jerusalem. He's quoting prophecy. This is the gospel. This is the good news that God will forgive all sins of the person who repents and believes upon the name of Jesus. How many of you got all types of sins? Like the 31 flavors of sins as I talk about. See, there's, there's a little guy who's freaking out right now. Love it. We start young. <laughs> I love it. But how many of you, how, when you look at your life, you go, man, I've kind of blown it a lot. Anybody else? I love this word, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name. The Lord is willing to forgive all sin. The deepest, darkest, most evil sin. The blood of Jesus Christ can cover and cleanse you from and save you from the penalty of. And listen, no one else might know those things, but God sees through the very soul of who you are, of who I am. 
There's no hiding in front of him. Let me unpack this real quickly. Everyone is a sender and under the wrath of God. How many of you don't like to hear that message? Okay, get on to the happy Jesus part. I want to have selective belief. No. We've got to do all the Bible. All the Bible talks about is us being saved through Jesus from God's wrath so that we will become his sons and daughters and have eternal life. That's what God desires for us. We've blown it. He has a provision. Do we believe it? Do we receive it? Do we live it? That's it. Everyone's a sinner and under the wrath of God where God at a person's death will judge them and justly cast them into hell for all eternity for their life of rebellion towards him as their creator. How many of you let your kids get away with murder? How many of you just willingly, if your kid went off and just lied continually and all this type of stuff, there's no repentance in their life, or they just blow up your house and do all the kind of, they just, it's your house, is it not? Anybody else? Got that in your head? Anybody? Parents? Did you know it's your house? Yeah, it's just something I got to teach these days. You can, you can, you're supposed to control what's going on. Your kids just start freaking out. They rebel against you. You want it. You show them kindness. You give them air to breathe, food to eat, right? You drive them around to all the places they go, and they just don't care about you. They, they use everything that you've given them for their own purposes, their own will, and, their, and, and, and all the things that you would have desired for them that you see in them you, that would bless them and move them in a certain direction all the time, they just, they end up saying, no, 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 no. And that is their whole life. See, God is a little bit bigger than us in parenting. He's got a whole universe. This is His. The air, the laws, space, time, your heartbeat, it's all His. It's on loan. He's put you in His world. Guess for whose glory? Yeah, His. That's a good answer. You're all about His plan. You're all about Him. Did you know that? Your purpose is found in Him. If He made you, do you think He has a purpose and a design for you? And if you live apart from that purpose and that design in rebellion, do you think there's not going to be consequences to those things? I'm just speaking frank. I don't know who else does this, right? I'm sure you guys do as good parents, right? And so there's going to be an accounting when you stand before God. And either you have been forgiven and changed by God's grace or you enter into that day of before God in your rebellion and you'll be judged accordingly because He is just. That's the bad news, which makes the gospel, the good news, good. Does it make sense? How many of you have good news without the bad news? No, that's what makes the bad news, the good news good. It's the bad news, right? I don't want to be separated from God throughout all eternity. I love Francis Chan, how he pulls out a rope that's along the stage, and he has a little, the end of it is like dipped in red paint or something. And he goes, a lot of you are living for this. You're like, I got my car, I've got my house, I've got all these things, I'm going to do this and this and this. And then he goes, you forgot about that. Eternity. When you check out. And what you do here determines what, you do, what happens there. Which direction you go. God is not only just, but guess, the, guess what, church? And this is what we need in our souls. He is also merciful. How many of you need a little mercy? Not mercy to continue what you're doing. Mercy in spite of who you, what you've been doing. Amen? Yeah. 
But God is merciful, and He desires, His desires that all men should not perish in that way to be separated from Him, but repent and receive forgiveness. God desires to forgive us of our sins. Isn't that great? How many of you have had enemies that desire would never forgive you for anything? Anybody, like, got your credit cards up a little bit? Nope. No forgiveness. You're paying it. God desires to forgive us. So God made a way to where all of a person's sins could be totally wiped clean. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die in their place to receive the wrath and punishment that they would deserve. Pretty wild, huh? In your place, in my place. The innocent for the guilty. And it says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever, that's you, it's me, would believe upon him, would not perish, but would have eternal life. That's the gospel. So the good news is that you can be forgiven and saved from the coming judgment through faith in Jesus Christ. And the heart of the gospel is God's will for us to be forgiven. God desires to forgive us. Jesus describes in Luke how that forgiveness comes about. He says in verse 47, and what? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There's a catch. There's something called repentance. How many of you like go, okay, King James, here we go. Repentance, what does it mean to repent? It says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all the nations. Repentance unlocks forgiveness. Repentance unlocks forgiveness. Did you know that? Repentance unlocks forgiveness. No repentance, no forgiveness. Now, what does it mean to repent? That's very important. Repentance is a word that describes a heart that is not just sorry about getting caught. How many of you when, with your kids or with, with maybe you, you're, you're sorry when you get caught? Anybody else? That's not true repentance. But rather, a person who is grieved in their soul that they are under the power of sin. They're under the power of sin, that it permeates them. It is who they are. The Holy Spirit has convicted them so deeply, has convicted you so deeply, you know I can't get away from this. This is who I am. It's integrated within, within me. Anybody else know what that's like and been under that conviction and you just come to the place where you said, God, I am wretched. Anyone? That's what we're talking about. Blessed who all, those who are poor in spirit. You're bankrupt. You know it. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in the heart of a person. He brings them to that place of where they recognize their depravity so that they will confess and they will repent and desire to turn from it and they will believe upon the one who can save them from who they are. A person who grieves over their sin, it permeates them and repentance is demonstrated in their willingness to turn from sin and to turn towards Jesus to save them from their sin. That's what it is. And it kind of happens in a moment, doesn't it? The Lord has been working in your heart. Perhaps you're here this morning, and you're going, okay, I don't necessarily like what he's talking about hell, and you're like, okay. And you're going off all this stuff, but you know in your life 
If you check out right now, you're going to stand before God, and you, you, the Holy Spirit is, is convincing you in your own heart. He's walking alongside you. He's waking you up to the fact that I'm not going to make it. And he's, he's touching you. He's quickening you to this. And what's happening in your heart and in your mind is God is bringing you to that place of going, I'm sunk. And see, in your mind, you're starting to grasp at things. You're going, but then I would have to leave this person or I'd have to do this. I I would have to let go of my kingdom and my world and all the things, the plans that I have because it's all wrapped up in me and my house and what I want. And God goes, right. Unless you give your heart to the Lord, unless you repent, unless you lay it all down, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. It's a hard message, a straight and narrow road. Repentance is a word that describes not just a heart that's sorry that it caught, but an expression of deep remorse. And you see, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about this awareness through the preaching of His Word right now. One of his roles, John 16, 8 says, is to convict the world of sin. When you ask your kids questions or people questions about things they've done wrong, what is the purpose? Hopefully it's to get them to open up so relationship is restored, right? It's God's desire. And so if I, as, as I am preaching and you find yourself hearing the word God, of God cut into areas of your life that you know are not glorifying to God, that's the Holy Spirit. Be thankful, but don't just be thankful. Repent, turn, call out to God. Say, God, I need you in this. I can't get out of this. It's who I am. Change me. Save me. See, this is faith. When you turn from those things in your heart, in your mind, and, it's, and, and you turn towards God and His saving ability to do that, and you begin to move in that direction, that's what saves it's saving faith, faith in God's ability to save you. So the message that Jesus was commissioning the disciples was to go into all the world and preach, beginning in Jerusalem, it was the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. How many of you here just received Jesus as your Savior and everything will be okay? And you've got a church that never repented, and you've got a bunch of people in church that have never changed their lives. And they're not truly born again. This is what the gospel says. Repent and believe. Now, let me tell you, how many of you are still struggling with sin? That's the problem, amen? Yes, but when you are convicted by it by the Holy Spirit, what do you do? You turn to Him. That's a sign that you're saved. That your heart, that's called sanctification, by the way. That's, that's what your life is until you go to Jesus. You're becoming more like Him every day as the Holy Spirit shows you, okay, now that we've done dealt with this, let's move to this. And he's unwrapping this onion of, of a life that you've had. And he's revealing, the de- how many of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time and you realize, whoa, I'm really wretched. God saved me from so much. I didn't know who I was when he saved me. Amen? God is so gracious and kind and patient. And, and before the foundations of the earth, he, he, he knew what he was going to do in you. And he's faithful to complete it. So the message that Jesus was commissioning was that the good news, that God saves us from who we are. But really quickly, at the core, the world says that you're good at your core. How many of you have heard it in, 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 in psych classes, all that stuff? People are basically good. Amen? How many of you hear that? Have you heard it? 
People are basically good at their core. And all the bad things we do are just peripheral. Let me ask you, do I have to teach you to do evil? No, it's modeled for you basically by your parents and by everybody around you. And by the way, it's really easy to do. You have to restrain evil and you have to be taught how to do good. Why is that? Because at the core of something inside of you is what God came to save. And you don't have the ability to save yourself. God came in and is offering to change you. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, guess what He does? He gives you His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And now you have power over sin just as Jesus did. I want to quickly finish. God convicts us by sin by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God being preached. God provides the means of our forgiveness through Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus died a substitutionary death for you and for me. He died in your place. And our part is to receive the forgiveness. Man's response is to repent, to turn from our sins and say, God, I, I turn from this, I believe in you, and you turn towards God. And the main mission of the church, the main mission of Christ Community Fellowship, and it should be every church, is to proclaim the gospel and to equip people to proclaim the gospel as they have repented and believed in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And this is what brings glory to God as we love and obey Jesus. Worship, prayer, evangelism, fellowship, giving, service, all is centered on the truth of Scripture that offers forgiveness and eternal life through faith alone in Jesus alone. And the gospel is the centered on the name of Jesus that's who we proclaim, church. And I know we're, we're ready to barbecue. Are you guys ready to barbecue? I was ready for a lot, while ago, but just let me finish Luke, okay? Come on. <laughs> Got to finish it. The gospel is all about the name of Jesus. How many of you have different names? How many of you are named Mary maybe in here? Mary means bitter and like marred. How many of you are just like, oh, there's Mary. She's bit, bitter, bitter and marred. No, it usually doesn't reflect who you are quite often, right? Your name's meaning... But see, Jesus' name means God saves. And it's all about His name. It's all about His name. In other words, His name reflects His very character as being the kingdom of God. When we say in the name of Jesus, it's not the magical words that give what you want. It's according to His character, according to what He would want, according to His will, His kingdom. John chapter 15, Pray, uh, abide in me, let, let my words abide in you and you abide in me, and ask anything you want because you've been in my word, and I will do it for you, and this is how you bear much fruit, which uh, glorifies my Father in heaven, proving yourselves to be my disciples. In other words, you hang out with me, my word's in you, you ask the things that I want, I do it for you, and this is God's kingdom. You're here for his glory. My name's Matt, which means gift of God. <laughs> but the name of Jesus, it means that all that he represents. His name means God saves, and his kingdom is wrapped up in that name. And that's the name in which everything is to be preached in. Jesus says to his disciples, this is why you are, uh, this is why you live. It's to proclaim. And I want you to start proclaiming it in Jerusalem. You hear me, church? Let's hear what the Spirit says to the church. We start with the gospel in Jerusalem. And they said, and then Samaria, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. You start where you're at. Start proclaiming the gospel here and now. 
And this means that the message has to get out of your own heart. It has to get out of your own heart. Church, we've got to get the message out. Our message is not exclusive. It's not, it's not meant to be private. It is a public declaration. We are not a private enterprise. We are a very public, earth, worldwide people. And we are, in all circumstances, in all situations, we are to proclaim the message on the authority of God in heaven. And the message is the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ alone. It has to get out of your heart. It has to get out of your house. It has to get out of your own family, to your neighbors, to your workers, to your friends, with the goal of spreading it far and wide. And this is what we're about. We have a public faith. Jesus says right here that his disciples were to preach. It's starting at home and moving out from there. That's the plan. That is the mission of the Lord Jesus gives us as individuals and collectively as a church and about the mission we're to be about that message, spreading the message of the good news, that sinners are offered forgiveness by the repenting and believing in Jesus. And Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Expect people to reject it. Just get used to it. Uh, Arthur just took a bunch of kids over to the, the, rest, the rest home over here, Park Manor. Uh, what was it? Brookdale? And, and I remember Ru- Ruth, they went out, you guys went and shared and prayed with people and did things like that. And I remember Ruth, I said, I was talking to Ruth, how was it? She thought it was awkward. <laughs> yes, it is totally awkward. It's like shining light in darkness. The light, it's, it's, uh, and you've got to realize you're the light. And just expect the darkness not to like it. But guess what? God is putting the light into the darkness just like he came down. And he wants to do it through you. The plan is through you, not the 11 disciples anymore. They're gone. Guess who the plan goes to now? You. You're going, well, I'm, I'm not that. Lord, make me what you want. Let me be a part of the gospel mission. However that is, let me be a part of it. Let me lose my life for this little part so that the rewards go on forever and ever. Does it make a difference right now? I mean, it kind of does. That house you live in or all that stuff. But I mean, ultimately, the things we strive for here, what's that going to do for eternity? If our lives were invested in a way that would just maximize God's glory, what would that look like for you and your family in eternity? If we made decisions that were different, that we're according to his kingdom and about getting the gospel out there and laying down our lives and being rejected by the world in love. What would it look like? Do you know the promises that God has for you? Do you know what he put in here for you, church? Do you know the things that are sure, as sure as he rose from the dead, that are yours in him if you would just do? They're yours. He will not renege on those. He will absolutely make good on those things. What decisions are you making right now with your time and your life and all those things? I don't know. I'm not judging. I'm just saying he told them to go. And he, they did. They spread the good news. And Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, God is the power of God. And here we go, ending. We don't really have to worry about the results. We don't have to really worry about whether people bite or not. We just are called to go fishing. There's going to be days when you catch nothing. 
In verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. Do you know that word witness is the word martyr in the Greek? You are martyrs of these things. And it's really interesting. Witnesses was the first word, but the word martyr eventually became, it came to be known as dying for your faith because they were so faithful in their witness that they ended up dying, that that word became synonymous with dying. I don't know if I explained that well enough, but we'll figure it out. It says, you're my witnesses. Go and proclaim it. Verse 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but say, stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. And 50 days from that point, the, the Holy Spirit would fall upon the church, and those same guys that denied Jesus in front of all those people started to proclaim Jesus in front of all those people. We cannot do any of this without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, church. Well, how do I have that? Well, you received it when you were born again, but you're leaky, you're leaky. And I'm saying we lose the Holy Spirit, but I'm telling you what, what you feed grows. The word says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word drunk with, with wine, the idea is that you, it, you drink with wine and it leads to debauchery, leads to a shipwrecked life. And the picture is a boat that hopefully the sails are filled with the Holy Spirit and it is directing their lives. Well, and then so what God wants is our lives to be filled with his word and it blows us in the direction that would fill us with the spirit and, and cause fruit. What's filling your sails? Be filled with the Holy Spirit and you're going to have life. Build your words upon the rock. When the storms come, you'll endure. And so there's a lot there. I'm going to skip but he says they were witnesses and they were called out of the world to be witnesses. This is a long one, I know. Just give me one second here. For us, for us to be witnesses, church, we have to repent. We have to repent. For us to be witnesses, we have to repent. We have to repent from those things that weigh down the ship. We are filled with the Holy Spirit when we first believe and regenerate, but we, we do leak. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus, who was founded 100 years earlier from the time of that letter. And Jesus says to them, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, these words are of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. So there's a lot going on that's well, but he says, yet I hold this against you. This is Jesus speaking to his church. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. That word forsaken is the idea of divorced. You've divorced your first love. In the negative, Jesus is saying that you divorced the world to love me, and now you've divorced me to love the world again. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first and if you do not repent, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand from its place. And so he says to consider, repent, and redo. Or re I like the three R's, remember, repent, and redo. We lose the power of the Holy Spirit of being witnesses when we are disobedient, when we seek to depart from the source of our new life for those old dry wells. 
And he says in verse 50, he says, when he had led them out to the vicinity in Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them while they were blessing. And while he was blessing them, he left and he was taken up to heaven. Bethany is on the Mount of Olives. It's the same place where Lazarus was resurrected. And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never lie, will, will never die. He who lives by believing in me will never die. Our faith is to be continual, church. And then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually in the temple praising God. Luke ends with the worship of Jesus by his people. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. In verse 53, their worship persevered. Notice that. They worshiped continually. They stayed continually. Summertime. <laughs> How many of you are like, okay, I'm going to give Jesus a break. I'm going I'm 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 to shift gears on a lot of things. How many of you are prioritizing your lives right now and you're thinking about your plans? And I'm not saying it has to be in this building. I'm just saying, is Jesus locked into all of that? Is he kind of, is he going with you? Is, have, you, have you checked in with him about everything that you're doing and where you're going and whether it's for his glory? I mean, I pray about that every time we go to San Diego, whether it's a trip or whatever it might be, we got to go, Lord, is this your timing? Is this your will? Is this your way? Open up doors. So just If not, then you just shut the door. But this is kind of where, where we'd like to go. And, but just invite him in to your summer, church. He's your life. Actually, let him lead your summer. You ever thought about that? Like say, Lord, what do you want to do this summer? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to give up or to invest in? Or how can I invest in your kingdom? This is your summer, Lord. It's yours. And they stayed continually in the temple. Acts 2.42, Luke writes the next book in Acts. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles and all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, which we're going to do in a few minutes, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the life of the church. Loving Jesus, loving one another, eating together, helping each other out where we need each other. May God fill you with His Spirit. May He just lead you into His love. We're done. Lord God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this time in your word. We love you. I, I know that we're all ready to eat. And so God, would you, as we've fed spiritually, Lord, would you bless us physically? Would you bless the food? To your name be all glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand for one last song. So at the beginning we sung a old song with a new tune. We're going to sing a new song with an old tune.
nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, its builders strive. that door hook a left 
and we're going to be all out there having hamburgers, hot dogs, and all that stuff. So how many of you brought lawn chairs and stuff like that? Awesome. Some of you will pull out some tables, too. God bless you. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Dismissed.